0: Please. 800 756 3744. 800 756 3744. 800 756 3744. That's 800
1: 756 3744. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk, live worldwide. Your inside look into combat sports. Ring Talk Live Worldwide is brought to you by the World Boxing Council, the WBC.
2: Nunes' hands are down, and she's walking Ronda
1: down. She tags her again. Over and over. Amanda Nunes. And now the host of the longest-running fight show in radio and Internet history.
0: If I can't teach you one way, I'll teach you another. But I'm going to get the job
1: done.
3: Pedro Fernandez. Damas y caballeros, bienvenidos, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Sports Byline Broadcast. Now we're here in the city by the bay, San Francisco, California. My name is Pedro Fernandez. In case you didn't know, straight up, this is my show. I've been doing this for 37, make that 38 plus years now. And welcome to Ring Talk Live Worldwide on WBC-TV. Often imitated but never duplicated, check it out. We're going to talk boxing for the next two hours, of course, We'll mix in a little MMA, but we'll spend some time with the retired HBO Godfather in this hour. I'm talking about Mr. Larry Merchant. We'll talk about the junior welterweight division. Of course, last night's pay-per-view. Remember the pay-per-view I told you where the promoters were going to pay you to watch it? Well, they almost did because the price started out at $69.95. Then I saw it for $39.95. Then somebody got it for $19.95. Then somebody last night got it for $9.95. So it was like cannabis prices in San Francisco. All over the place. That's all over the place. Anyway, bottom line is, if you watch a card, of course, Luis Ortiz, former Cuban exile, two weeks short of 43 years old, got off the deck twice to beat Charles Martin, a former IBF title holder good fight up and down knockdown action if you like that type of stuff of course a big heavyweight card but i don't think it was worthy of paying 69 bucks for it would i have paid 10 bucks for it yes would i pay 19 bucks for it maybe but i would not have paid 69.95 that's what they wanted straight up so you know, let's say another pay-per-view event I watched, but I didn't pay for it in, uh, in full because I went over to a friend of mine's house and watched it there. That's the way to do it. Straight up, this is Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Open phone lines all around the planet. one 800 878 7529 That's one 800 878 Of course, there's also the guilt free no commitment text line. That number, 415 275 1613. The text line here in the studio, once again, 415 275 1613. We're live on twitch.tv, of course, the Sports Byline USA channel, Sports Byline, iHeartRadio Sirius XM Satellite, and about a thousand other different internet platforms. This is Ring Talk.
0: 800-754-4531. That's 800-493-6118.
5: Everyone says, I wish I was in your shoe. I wish I was in your shoe. The people, the hundreds of people that wish they were in my shoe don't know the tenth of it. If they were in my shoe, they would cry like babies. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez.
6: You want to take a chance on that?
3: Listening to Mike Tyson there, I can't re- can't forget the fact that um, he used to heat up the gyms in Las Vegas. Whether he worked at the Golden Glove gym or at Johnny Tacos, he used to have people come in like the Johnny Taco ran the gym. He'd have to come in like at 7 o'clock in the morning and turn on the heat. Mike wanted it like 100 degrees in there. I kid you not. Anyway, uh, he's talking about doing another exhibition. And why not? I think he did look good against Roy Jones. Of course, he doesn't want to end up like a Vander Holyfield or Oscar De La Hoya. And why do I say Oscar De La Hoya? Because Oscar would end up like... Of Vander Holyfield had hey, he fought Vitor Belfort and of course he backed out the last minute, said he had COVID. He was in the hospital, giving interviews, giving interviews with COVID in the hospital. Let's go cool, good old Oscar De La Hoya, of course, Oscar Della Fishnets. Now, straight up, the heavyweight division is what it is. Of course, the champion is Tyson Fury, undefeated lad. Of course, that one draw against Deontay Wilder was a race with two stoppage wins. Of course, the very dominant in, in his performances against Wilder, without a doubt. And if Wilder's the best American heavyweight we have, we've got some problems here. But Oleg Usyk, of course, he came along. He's this undefeated cruiserweight from the Ukraine, and he was considered a yeah, smallish heavyweight. But he came along, and he gangster-slapped 2012 Olympic gold medals. So I'm talking about Anthony Joshua. Of course, Joshua coming in with that one loss against Auntie Louise. I'm talking about Andy Ruiz. I mean— He lost to a big fat guy and then won against a big fat, even fatter guy. And then he came back and lost against a guy that was smaller than him. He just, he's just not the real deal. In other words, you know, some guys come into boxing late and you know, they, they look good, but you can't, they're not, I'll put it to you like this. If he was a violin player and we gave him the violin at the age of 18 or 17 and asked him to be a master by the age of 30, he probably wouldn't be. Same thing applies to boxing. If you start late you're probably not going to fulfill the, uh, the, the get to the heights that you probably want to get. Anyway, straight up, Tyson Fury, of course, going back and forth with Dillian White as far as the, uh, uh, arguments are concerned, as far as purse bids are concerned. The WBC has ruled that an 80 20 split will go down as far as the purse bid is concerned. In other words, if a it, if it purse bid went out at a million bucks, uh, Tyson Fury would get $800,000 and Dillian White would get $200,000. And somebody said to me, well, Dillian White should be happy to get 20% of the purse because 20% of any Tyson Fury purse is going to be worth a whole lot of money. And where can can he make that money anywhere else? He can't. Even if if he fights for a vacant belt or does something else, decides to go away from the WBC, he's not going to make more money than he will here. I'm talking about... Uh, Dillion White. Not my favorite fighter, of course, uh, a guy that supposedly, allegedly, did some Flintstone vitamins in his time, but I can't prove that, so I won't mention. Anyway, Olek Usek undefeated at the top of the, uh, the ladder. I mean, him and Tyson Fury is 19 and zip. Tyson Fury is 31 and zip with that one draw, of course. Joshua coming in with two losses, 24 and two now. Deontay Wilder, 42 and two, but with the one draw. But let's be honest, 42 of the guys, 40 of the guys that Deontay Wilder fought, what did Mark Breland say, his former trainer? I could beat them. That's why Mark, the former 1940, uh, former 1984 uh, Olympic gold medalist at 147, maybe the best amateur ever. But yeah, he admitted. You know, some of the guys he, when he was training Wilder, some of the guys that Wilder was fighting, he could beat. I mean, Wilder was just fighting a whole lot of stiffs. There was absolutely no doubt about it, of course. And then, of course, when he got tested. He didn't didn't pass. I mean, Ty's not listen. Tyson Fury is not the greatest thing in the entire world, but he's the greatest thing right now as far as the heavyweights are concerned. I mean, nobody could beat his big ass, and that's all there is to it. He's size, he's awkward, he's mobile, he can punch a little bit, he can box a little bit, he takes a good shot. He's got off the deck before. I mean, you know, he's sort of like the complete fighter, but he's not complete as far as his physic, the physical, the physical aspect of him. He looks fat. He looks out of shape. I think Jim Lampley, a former uh, voice of HBO Box and said he looks like a fat slob, but I wouldn't go that far. Anyway, let's talk about last night's fight. Of course, the, the Cuban... Uh, the Cuban exile. i talk about Luis Ortiz, of course, the twice beaten heavyweight. What's he? Thirty eight and two, or thirty three and two now? Twenty eight Um Charles Martin. Martin came in with a three fight winning streak, but it wasn't going to happen as far as the fourth was concerned because of the fact he was fighting a guy that was probably a little bit better than him. But he was coming off mm, kind of three three wins in a row. But then you look at you look at Ortiz, and he's forty, going to be forty three years old in a couple of weeks, man. These these guys. You shouldn't be losing the 43-year-old guys. You just shouldn't, okay? You absolutely shouldn't. I don't care if George Foreman did defy everybody and come back and win the heavyweight title by suckering Michael Moore into that one shot and getting knocked out, that kind of good stuff. And what is Michael Moore famous for? putting a bomb on a fence at the Kronk gym, uh, at the Cronk house in uh, Detroit, Michigan. Emanuel Stewart had a house. Now, Michael Moore was such a nut. I told you before, the former IB, uh, the former uh, light heavyweight and heavyweight champion of the world, of course, out of Manassa, Pennsylvania, something like that. Anyway, when he was living with Emanuel Stewart in Detroit, Michigan, he built a bomb. He was a bomb builder. This guy was nuts, okay? But he built a bomb, he put it on the desk outside of Emanuel's uh, house, and he blew the 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 gate-off, I kid you not, Michael Moore was a bit of a nut. Anyway, Michael Moore, of course, getting knocked out by George Foreman. That's what he's famous for, getting knocked out by an old man. But George Foreman, they only come along once in a while, and that was a good move by George. I mean, the plan... To sucker Michael Moore in like that, let, Mike Moore, let Michael throw his shots, let Michael get comfortable. That's what happened. Mike just got a little too comfortable there. He said, "Well, I'm kicking this old man's ass. Yeah, this old man's got nothing. The old man was just waiting on him, just waiting on him, just waiting to time that right. And boom, he timed it, and it was all over. Michael Moore, no longer the heavyweight champion. Of course, George Foreman comes back, becomes the oldest heavyweight champion in history. Now we've got guys, you know, I mean, they're not real old. I mean, Tyson Fury's 33. Olek Usik is 34. Wilder is 36. Dillian White is is 34. Joseph Parker, I don't even consider him part of the mix because he beat Derek Chisora a fortnight ago. I don't think so. Michael Hunter, not just yet. Anyway, Luis Ortiz is next on the list as far as the uh, top 10 at BoxRec.com is concerned. Of course, Ortiz a winner last night. He got off the deck twice and he stopped Charles Martin in the sixth round, but. Eh, I'm not on that press. Anyway, Joe Joyce is next on the list. I'm not too pressed with him because he's a young man that comes to us from the uh, UK. Andy Ruiz or Auntie Ruiz. He's in real good physical shape. The fat man, the former fat man, <clears throat> he'll never look like me. He'll never be trim, pretty like me. He just won't. That's not in his makeup, okay? It's not in his DNA, okay? But he's in shape. I watched some films of him last night, and I saying to myself, man, I was pretty impressed. Reynoso and and crew, Eddie Reynoso and his crew, are putting him through some workouts. Um, He looks trim. I'm not saying he'll ever be, you know, trim, 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 but he won't be the fat guy he used to be. I mean, he was a fat pig, and there's no other way to put it. He should have been arrested for impersonating a professional boxer when he stepped into that ring. What was that, in in the United Arab Emirates or down there in, in Saudi Arabia or something like that when he fought Anthony Joshua the second time, he should have been arrested. There's no way in the world any other fighter in any other weight class could have pulled that crap off. I was going to say spit with an H, but I caught myself. Okay, I think about this. The guy comes in and he goes to camp at 317 pounds. He comes in at 283. He's fatter than Duck with an F. He just is. I mean, he's absolutely a pig. But now he's with Reynoso and then, of course, Reynoso famous for putting the Canelo team together. And they are Team Canelo. And, of course, Team Canelo is pound for pound the best fight in the world. But back to Andy Ruiz. He's looking good. He has no fight for 2022 yet. But um, he's looking pretty good for a fat man. So I want to give him some props. As far as the rest of the heavyweight division is concerned, Frank Sanchez was the winner last night. Um, But not a, you know, well, am I supposed to be impressed? I don't think so. I think he went to thirteen and zero now, but I tw- twenty-one and zero now. But I'm not too impressed with him at all. Twenty and zero, but I'm not impressed with him. Huey Fury is also in the top fifteen as far as heavyweights are concerned, but eh, eh, Huey Fury is not really a heavyweight threat. As far as the rest of the entire division is concerned, I don't see anybody, especially as far as an Americans concerned, that's a threat to the heavyweight championship. And that's a bit of that's a bit frightening because you know American fighters, they used to dominate the heavyweight division. They used to be, I mean. You know, an occasion somebody from the British uh, exile, British uh, uh, British Empire, would win the title. And stuff. for the most part, it was an American property. It just was, okay. And really, not anymore. The Klitschko sort of broke that 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 long time run. They just did. I mean, they held it for a long time, and they don't appear to be giving it up. But now, Europe's got the title. I mean, let's think about this. Tyson Fury, he's from Europe. Anthony Joshua, he was from Europe. Okay, he's from Europe. Um, so is uh, Mr. U- uh, Mr. O- o- Oleg Usek fights out of Europe, and he's coming to us from Ukraine, so nobody's American anymore, and if I look through these top 10 heavyweights, I don't see anybody outside of um, maybe De- Deontay Wilder, and Deontay Wilder, the only reason why he's a threat is he can crack with the right hand. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't reach an orgasm with the left-handed, if you know what I mean. You men you know what I mean. He couldn't reach an orgasm with the left hand, but... He could do all kinds of stuff with the right hand, but a one-armed bandit doesn't make it because eventually you will get exposed as being a one-armed bandit. That's what happened to him. I mean, look at it. He was mowing guys down left and right, not having too many problems. I mean, he beat up on Luis Ortiz, I think once or twice, but at the end of the day, you know, Wilder was like, the American threat. Ooh, must watch TV. That's what some people were saying. I wasn't much watch TV for me. In other words, because I knew the opposition. He would say, Bermain Staverne. That was the, that was his toughest challenge. I mean, Bermain Staverne. I could beat him. Just about. I mean, that's how limited he was. I mean, he was out of shape. He was fat. He was old. He was unmotivated. And they called that a title fight. Man, Deontay Wallace should have been ashamed for that. He just should have been ashamed. Okay? He just should have. But at the end of the day, we have a heavyweight division ruled by a guy that's a bit flaky. Okay? That's right. Tyson Fury. He's a bit flaky. But at the end of the day, he's a champ. Like him or not, he is a champ. No doubt about that. The rest of the divisions, of course, we'll go through some of the results last night. Talk about the junior welterweight division in detail. Of course, people say to me, what's up with the junior welterweights? We'll find out after the break. You're tuned to Ring Talk and WBC TV. Joshua looks so tired. I think he wants out. He says that's it. Andy Ruiz is the
1: heavyweight champion. Ring Talk Live Worldwide is brought to you by the World Boxing Council, the WBC.
0: 2080. That's 800 1845 Now,
1: more
3: brain Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Only so much oil in the ground. That's what the song says. Straight up, gas went to like six bucks a gallon here in San Francisco. Six bucks a gallon for gas here in the city by the bay. I kid you not. Of course, I go across the... Bay to Oakland, California. i buy my gas for like $4.39, but 6 bucks a gallon for a gallon of gas in San Francisco. God, I'm so old that I remember gas wars at $0.26 cents a gallon. Straight up, $0.26 cents a gallon. Oh, 1973, bring it back. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking to the world of boxing, of course, coming to you live on... WBC TV and VEV TV. Of course, we're talking pound for pound boxers right now. The best, of course, is Canelo Alvarez, what, 57-1, and one, a draw. Of course, the 168-pound world champion, talking about fighting somebody, Akubu, the WBC champion, at 200 pounds, not at 190. They're not going to make him come down to 190. Of course, they could beat this guy, I think, at 220 pounds. I think that's why they're picking him anyway. so Alvarez, pound for pound, the best fighter in the world, but was he fighter of the year? No, I think George Cambosas was fighter of the year. Maybe, or Oleg Usek. Maybe throw him, throw Oleg Usek in there. Maybe, maybe even Nonito Donaire. Of course, the 38 year old Filipino phenom from Newark, California. Of course, the Filipino flash. Call him what you want, man. 19, what, 2007 he knocked out Vic Tarchinian in like. On July 7, 2007, he knocked chinian out, and then 14 years later, 15 years later, he is the WBC 118-pound bantamweight champion. Wow, by upset. Of course, knocked out his countryman, uh, a country a fellow Filipino, about a week, a week and a half ago or two weeks ago. But Donaire, maybe fight of the year, no doubt about that. But I like George Cambosas. I like the fact that Cambosas of course, went into Brooklyn and uh, went into New York City and fought. A guy from New York City, I'm talking about Teofimo Lopez, and and I don't want to hear this crap that Teofimo Lopez, what did that doctor say afterwards? He must have been fighting like he had a 300-pound weight on his chest. Man, you know, I don't want to knock doctors because I got one of the best doctors in the world, Uh, but, you know, some doctors are just full of spit when it comes to an age, and they know little or nothing about boxing. I mean, do you actually think if he had a 300-pound weight on his chest, he could have fought 12 rounds like that? Come on, be serious. No way, no way. And had that that big 10th round like he had, no way, no how. I'm telling you, Teofimo Lopez just lost straight up. I mean, the guy had problems making the weight. They made weight five, six, seven times. Remember, they approached this fight. uh, Him and Kambosis was supposed to uh, originally take place in June. And of course, it was postponed, 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 postponed. Anyway, I think six or seven postponements. But each time, um, you know, they're pre- they're in camp and they're prepping. And when you're in camp and you're coming down and weight like Tiafimo Lopez, Lopez comes down to like from 165 or 170 to make 135 pounds. Well, guess what? You're not making anymore. You not not with ease. Anyway, he didn't have a dietitian. According to what I've been told, he did not have a dietitian. His father was in control. Yeah, Tiafimo Lopez Senior, idiot of the year. And not in the world of boxing, in the world of fathers. I mean, come on, man. The guy's dancing outside the ring while his kid's getting lit up inside of it? What is he doing? What is he doing? And the kid comes back. Teofimo comes back, and, you know, he's confused. I mean, because he, he hasn't had his ass kicked, but he's not. He's getting his ass kicked. This is something all new to him. It's queer to Teofimo Lopez. He has no idea what's going on. I'm getting beat. I'm undefeated. I'm the guy. I'm a 13-1 favorite. Nothing's right here. And then dad comes back and tells him, hey, you won that round two. T-O-O, okay? And that's also, you won them right also. Well, guess what? He hadn't won two rounds in a row, let alone that last round. So the father was giving him bad advice. Of course, I've always been against fathers in the corner because fathers, um, they have no median. Either they let it go too far, uh, like, you know, Rico Velasquez Sr. With Rico Velasquez back in 1989, um, he got knocked down. Check this out. He's fighting for the, he's defending the California Lightweight Championship in San Jose, California against a Phenom in David Gonzalez. Gonzalez, I think, had had one draw and one loss, a points loss, but he was a Phenom. He could have been champion if he was dedicated. Anyway, Rico goes goes into this fight with a broken nose because when I went up to interview him, and I was the only guy that went went, climb the stairs of the San Jose Civic Auditorium to interview this guy, he had two black eyes. I mean, he already had two black eyes coming into the fight. I'm saying to myself, Man, this doesn't look good. Two black eyes. How can you get two black eyes? Well, you've got a broken nose, you can get two black eyes. Anyway, so Rico's got the two black eyes. He goes into the fight. He gets knocked down. Get this, eight times. Eight times. Officially, I think four or five. But he got, got knocked down eight times. One time he sat on the ropes. and was just getting clobbered, okay? And and the referee, Hank Lesbrew, didn't do anything. So after getting knocked down like six or seven times, I went to the referee before the 10th round, and I said to him, please stop the fight, because he wouldn't stop the fight, and the corner wouldn't stop the fight. I asked the corner to stop the fight. I went to the father, and I said to him, man, you got to stop this fight. Your kid's going to get killed. I didn't know he didn't understand English, but I'm telling him this in English, and he tells me, he tells the kid, show me some balls. That's what he told him in Spanish, show me some balls. So the kid says, oh, i got to show you some balls. In the meantime, his brain is bleeding. He's got a brain bleed going on, an internal brain bleed. It can concussion and brain bleed, okay, so he gets off the stool, and before he gets off the stool, I go to the referee, and I beg the referee, I said, Hank, please stop this fight, please, please stop this fight, I sound like I sound like Bruno Mars with Cardi B, please, Cardi, please, anyway, bottom line is, he wouldn't stop the fight, he told me, son, go sit down and let me do my job, he took a towel, he wiped his forehead to sweat, and he put the towel back in the corner, okay, and he went out there, and 40 seconds later, Rico Velasquez was dead. I mean dead as in a doornail, okay? When you watch a fighter die in you it's just it's inc- it, it it freaks you out. It gives you a different perspective on the sport. I mean, yes, accidents do happen, but but this accident didn't have to happen. They brought a guy in there that had been knocked out by Ramiro Damas about eight or nine weeks earlier, about two about two and a half months earlier. In Harlington, Texas, Rico Velasquez got knocked out in the gym, and he went into convulsions. And some doctor was there, and I think the doctor's name was Gomez. Why does why does that name stick with me? Because I wrote a cl- exclusive story on this for the San Francisco Progress newspaper back in the day. But um, uh, I think it was Doctor Gomez. He got him, you know, brought him out of these convulsions this and that, and they let him fight less than three weeks later, three months later. He had convulsions. You know, he, he had brain convulsions. He couldn't control himself. Right. And, and they let him fight three months later, and then he gets killed. So it was no surprise that he died. It just wasn't. I mean, if you look at all the all all the stuff that happened to him prior, plus he's fighting David Gonzalez, one of the meanest, meanest guys in the entire world, um, something bad wasn't going to happen. Guess what? David Gonzalez also cur- killed um, Robert Wangila. Robert Wangila was a 1984 Olympic gold medalist. I think it was, was he was the gold medalist in 84 88. Anyway, he and I had some—we uh, some, rubbed shoulders one time. We were going to spar— and, in, in at the top-ranked gym in Las Vegas, we were talking spit back and forth. And when I say spit, I say spit with an H. Of course, I was talking in English. He was talking in broken African in English, but it went back and forth. We were going to spar, we are going to spar, we are going to spar. And we didn't spar, but Wangila ended up getting killed by David Gonzalez, too. So David Gonzalez killed Rico Velasquez in the ring in 89. He killed um, he killed Wangila about, about four or five years later. And to top that off, David Gonzalez was from Houston, Texas. And the reason why he came to California, it was that he shot some kid in the back of the head. What do you mean? That's right. He had a gun. They were sitting in the car. They were cruising around gangbanging, right? And they were gangbanging, cruising around Houston. And uh, he shot his friend by accident in the back of the head. The guy was in the front seat driving the car, and boom, shot it, blew his head off. So anyway, they sent David, Bad News David. That's what I called him. He was Bad News David. David was just, I mean, he was a bad, I mean, he was like, he could have been, he sort of reminded me a little bit of Roberto Duran with the sneer and this and that, okay, but he didn't have the dedication or the drive. There was just no, no doubt about it. There was something missing there. And of course, he was a guy like Ray Lovato in Sacramento, California, a top rated guy, a guy that should have won a world championship, but they. They were lazy, and they wouldn't dedicate themselves. Instead of Ray fighting at 140, he fought at 147. Instead of David fighting at 135, he fought at 147. In other words, you can't win these big fights against these guys that are in their prime, the upper echelon of boxing, if you're not in tune with their weight. I can tell you from personal experience when I went to the Western Olympic Trials in 1984, and I took on Vincent Webb. I laughed at Vincent because I was eating food and he was laying in bed making weight. Okay, I'm saying, I said, man, what's this guy's laying in bed? I'm gonna kick his ass. And no, 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 no. Because when we went to the weigh-in, I realized how big this dude was. Okay, big. In other words, he was making 139, but he was like 147 pounder coming down to 139. In other words, what I'm trying to say is size matters in two things, pornography and combat sports. And that was one time where of course size was against me. And I realized that, of course, later when I moved up to 147 pounds, I said to myself, Well, I've won i won three Golden Glove championships at 140 139 pounds. I guess I can move up to 147 because of the fact that, you know, I wanted to, how can I put this? There's a legend. There's a legend from Stockton, California, and he just, I mean, we'll talk about this after break. Well, I wanted to live up to the legend. Couldn't do it. Of course, I'm talking about Alaguayo. Couldn't live up to that legend. He moved to 147. He won a title at 147. He won titles at 139, 132, and 147. But I thought I would be bold and move from 139 to 147 because I was licking everybody like a stamp at 139. Then I went to 147, went down to the uh, the Valley, and beat up a bunch of guys to get – qualified for the Nationals. I went to the Nationals and got lit up, got lit up at the National Golden Gloves by, can I say, Ernie Chavez, man. He lit me up like the White House Christmas tree. Listen, if we were gay, he would have been arrested for domestic violence that day. That's how bad he beat me up. No, no, I'm just kidding you. Three punches. He hit me three times. I was kicking his ass in the first round until he hit me. Hit me with that right hook. That's right, southpaws. The southpaw jinx. When you're a southpaw and you think you're a bad southpaw, this and that, and you're a bad dude until you get in the ring with another southpaw. That's right. It was a southpaw that annihilated me. He just, Ernie beat me up. There was absolutely no doubt about it. He landed three punches. All three punches hurt. Two of them put me down. I was down twice. I got up in the second round and said to myself, I've had enough. The referee says, do you want any more? No way, no how, baby. I'm out of here. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide and WBC-TV. We'll spend some time with the retired HBO Godfather talking history after the break. I'm talking about Larry Merchant on Ring Talk Live Worldwide and (laughs) WBC-TV.
0: That's 800-437-8217.
7: What are you so happy about? I'm on the pill. Aren't you two a bit old to worry about having more kids? Not her, me. Uh, you lost me there, buddy. Steelman pills. Things weren't always looking up, if you catch my drift. So, my doctor prescribed me a little something. Like Viagra? Yeah, but that's expensive, and it wasn't covered by my insurance. Steelman pills cost me less than three bucks a pill, and virtually the same effect. I just called and got over 40 pills for only $99. I have this friend who might be looking, and... Well, if your friend wants some help, the consultation is free over the phone. No clinic.
5: from here to help murder and kill another poor people simply to continue the domination of white slave masters over the darker people of
6: the earth. Fellas, I'm ready to get up and do my thing. Go ahead, go ahead. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like a like a sex machine, man. Yeah. Moving, doing it, you
7: know. Yeah. Can I count it off? Go ahead. One, two, three, four.
3: Now, more Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Time to bring back the pound-for-pound pound king. I'm talking to the retired HBO godfather, Mr. Larry Merchant. Welcome to 2022,
8: sir. Uh, and, uh, let me wish you have... This- it's not a
3: happy new year, because uh, I don't know if we can have a happy new year, but a better new year. Okay, I'll go along with a better new year. How is the godmama Patricia Stitch Merchant today?
8: Uh, she's scuffling, struggling, um, but she's up and around.
3: A tough dame. Okay. And,
8: and uh, life in the big city. But we, we have a beautiful digs. So we looking out at a gorgeous day in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. The beach is starting to get crowded. <laughs> and uh, I'll go out for my walk in an hour or so.
3: And that's life here. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, Larry. You know, last night they had a little pay-per-view thing, which I didn't buy but it was on pay per view. Luis Ortiz and uh, Charles Martin. I think when the heavyweight main event it was a five heavyweight bout a uh, card. But check this out. I've never been. Now you and I have been around around the block a few times as far as pay per views are concerned. So when this pay per view started out a week ago, I looked at the price. It was sixty nine ninety five. When I looked at it the day before yesterday, it was thirty nine ninety five. When I saw it yesterday morning, it was nineteen ninety five. And then last night it was dropped to nine ninety five.
8: Well, it sounds like a lesson for the future because if everybody's trying to get in on the pay-per-view and streaming and all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. then uh, some of them are going to find out that nobody cares about um, fights like that except when they're elite popular fighters.
3: Hmm. Speaking of elite popular fighters, when... when, uh, I you know I looked at the Muhammad Ali Joe Frazier fight last night. I was watching and watched fifteen rounds of it. And every time I which watch one? a fight, every time which I one? watch a every time I watch Hold a, it. I'm sorry,
8: which which fight? There <laughs> were three of them.
3: I know, but I, when I say the fight, I mean the first one. Um, okay. But b- but I watch all fifteen rounds of it, Larry, and somehow every time I score that fight, it comes up with Ali winning that fight. How come?
8: You know, I've heard that a lot of people who thought who who gave the fight um, to Fraser? Hmm. understandably, uh, have, w- in watch- re-watching the fight, they say now, well, Ali could have won. Now, I've called myself an, a stigmatic dunce over the years because I, I scored the fight for Ali, mm-hmm. and I was in the first fight first or second row watching the fight. Mm -hmm. And Ali did a lot of damage on Joe. Joe spent more than a week in a hospital after that fight recovering. Now, he put... I've never seen a man put as much of himself out there. The effort he did, he poured everything into that. And it, it was like he emptied himself to make such a great fight and
3: uh, on a great night and um, it was the greatest exhibition of mental strength I think I've ever seen well it was
8: I, 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 I think that's a f- fair to say uh, in a boxing ring yeah and and of course uh, in the third fight he, he gave just as much but he didn't have he by that time he he had gone into some decline mm-hmm. but that was regarded as by many people as the best heavyweight championship fight ever. Uh but the first one with the whole planet Earth was focused on that fight. Mm-hmm. It was so big and uh two undefeated Heavyweight champions.
3: You, you know, I, I remember. Like we, we uh, I was listening to the radio that night. Of course, it, what they do, they they would have the round, and they would tell you what the, the the result was after the round. And you could actually, there was the streets, the streets of San Francisco. It was not moving. It was like it, it very. When the Forty ers won the Super Bowl, you didn't see too many people on the street when the, when the game was gone. It was the same with the Salley Frazier fight. Nobody was out.
8: You're right. Well. Um I was in so I can't say what was going on out. I didn't see the third I saw the third fight on television from Manila, but I I covered the first two fights.
3: Wait, wait, wait. wait. the third fight from Manila? Was that when Marcos wouldn't let you in the country?
8: No, no. I I never I've never been to the Philippines. <laughs> I just my, my um I think by that time I had retired as a as a columnist and was moving You know, toward my next career.
3: Um, So, was it was only Mobutu? It was was only Mobutu they didn't want you to come back. Is that it? uh, True that. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. Let me tell. Let me tell the people's story. Uh, President Mobutu was the president of Zaire. uh, It was called Zaire then in Africa. Of course, they held the Ali Frazier fight. Don King got Mobutu to put up six million dollars for the fight. Of course, it bankrupted the country. Mobutu was a crook. Needless to say. he didn't invite Larry back. Larry, what did you say about him? How complimentary were you? Well, I didn't say anything about him. <laughs> but
8: when the fight was postponed, yeah. oh. uh, when 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 uh, George Foreman was cut on his eyelid in a sparring session, mm-hmm. and it was postponed for, I don't remember, six, eight weeks, and I went back uh, home to New mm-hmm. York and... When I and on them when I was going back for the fight, I was told by the Zairean
3: Consulate? cast
8: of characters that I was not welcome, and that uh, they wouldn't let me on the flight. So, um, Is, isn't that wasn't But
3: isn't that a badge of honor
8: with a creep like that? Well, I you know look, I was writing about the scene there in Zaire. And one column I wrote, for example, I saw these two little gray haired ladies in the uh in a hotel uh and they were yapping back and forth, and I was wondering, well, what are they doing here? Why are they here? So I went over and and spoke to them. They were both librarians from Michigan, and they had gone to Zaire um uh, because the the game parks there had been closed for many years or some of the game parks and they were and don king was promising people that they could would have a flight in addition to buying a ticket to the fight they would have flights to these game preserves mm-hmm. and that's why those women came But when they got there, oh, and I saw them arguing with Don King, and when they got there, there was no such thing. It was just a hustle. And um, I wrote about it. And I, among other things that went on, um, but mostly I covered the fighters and the scene and so on, but uh, I guess they didn't like that. And... I, I felt it was a badge of honor. You are correct, sir. Without a doubt.
3: <clears throat> now, George Foreman coming to Africa, you know, when he was here in San Francisco, and I, and I told you that I watched his his professional uh, debut, essentially. I mean, he was an amateur in the gym. We watched him in the gym, win the Golden Gloves, go down there, win the Olympic gold medal, and, of course, turn pro. But as he turned pro, he was a bully. I mean, he he used to beat up on guys like, like guys who were 40, 50 pounds lighter than him and and smash these guys in his neck. So, you know, when, when he fought Frazier— we sort of figured that Frazier was damaged goods and he was probably going to win there. But against Ali, there was no doubt in anybody's mind that Ali was going to get beat. That Ali was going to get thumped on when they went to the Rumble in the jungle. And, I mean, after, I guess, the first or second round, I was saying to myself, he's still here. Were you surprised?
8: You know, uh, Pedro, and stop me if I've told this story to you before. But I went down to Zaire on planes that Ali was on. Mm -hmm. We flew to Paris and then got on a flight uh, to Zaire. And at one point, Ali got on the loudspeaker system and started to riff about the fact that he's never been on a plane with two black pilots Will they be able to find Zaire? Will they be able to <laughs> land the plane? <laughs> he, had the, he had the place in, in, in an uproar. And, and then he came out and he sat down next to me. And he said these words to me. If he doesn't get me in seven, his parachute won't open. Because Ali understood that the one flaw in that younger foreman, was that he put so much out there that he didn't have great stamina? Mm-hmm. Uh, he fought a, a, a South American at Madison Square Garden, and he had some problems with the guy. And uh, and and I guess Angelo Dundee was feeding them the information. You got to hang in there. You got to hang in there. Now nobody had made the plan that Ali executed when the fight started, of going to the ropes and trying to see if he could make George beat himself. And ultimately, that's what happened.
3: So that strategy was on the fly?
8: Yes. The, uh, Bundini Brown, his famous corner guy, <laughs> was yelling, yelling, and, and, and then when he went to the corners, the, Dundee was telling him, get off the ropes, get off the ropes. And Ali understood that first in the middle of the, the ring that George at that time was quicker than they imagined. And he just decided, well, let's see what happens. And he was able to take the, the shots, most of them to his arms and shoulders, um, and then, in, 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 as the th- fourth, third, fourth rounds came around, he started to lash out with jabs mm-hmm. and, and 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 sporadic bursts, and uh, the rest is history.
3: The rest is history, no doubt about that. Of course, he. The greatest of all time. I uh, he's got a great he's got a grandson that's boxing a bit. He I've had him on the show. The guy's green as guacamole, but he's trying. He's a good kid. Have you seen him at all, Nico Walsh? Uh, no, I haven't. You know his sons must be in their forties at least. At, at least, without a doubt, Layla Ali is forty three. I think she turned forty three the day before yesterday. Mm. So time is flying, Godfather. I mean, I'm sixty four. You're ninety. I will be 91 soon if I get there. (laughs) You know what? Listen, I can't thank you enough for your time each week. Kiss the Godmama for me. Tell her I say thank you for your time, and you guys go out and have a great day.
8: It was a good way to start the year, Pedro.
3: The one, the only, incomparable, the godfather, the retired HBO godfather, Larry Merchant, on Ring Talk Live Worldwide and WBC-TV.
0: 800-449-1759. Again, that's
1: 800-449-1759. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. He's got a crazy gas
3: tank, crazy gas tank. The guitar of the late Bruce Conti. He died about three or four months ago um, in the Philippines. Bruce, may you rest in peace. You and I were cool. I remember one time... I was bouncing. I was a bouncer at this place called the Guadalajara de la Noche. It was a nightclub on 24th Street here in the city before I came. Before I became a cop. It was like 1979, 1980, somewhere around there. Anyway, so uh, I'm basically throwing drunks out of this club, and Bruce Conti comes in one night. So I introduced him to the, the band leader, the fact that he's Bruce Conti with Tower of Power, this thing He was a great guy, without a doubt. Of course, he got Parkinson's and a couple other diseases. I think they could have attributed the fact he liked to do a lot of Colombian dust. So maybe that Colombian dust came back to haunt him. Speaking of Colombian dust, we're going to talk in hour number two about a guy whose life had some ups and downs and it involved Colombian dust because I'm getting pushed on this one. I'm talking about Alessio Zarquale. Of course, born in 1952, died July 1st, 2009. Did he die by his own hand? Um, did he commit suicide or was he murdered? He was the mayor of Managua, Nicaragua, which is the capital of the uh, of the country, the biggest city in the country, you no know doubt about that. I mean, he was the man. I mean, everybody respected him. Not everybody, though. And somebody sent me some, some info this week that sort of implicated, that tried to implicate his daughter. And I met his daughter. In fact, I've got pictures of me and the girl, I guess she was about five years old then, so she's got to be about 25, 26 years old now, I think somewhere around there. So I'm wondering, you know, whether or not that, that, that there's any merit to this at all. But the bottom line is somebody sent me some stuff. I'll talk about that in hour number two. I'm hoping that we'll get Mauricio Suleiman on in hour number two as well, the WBC president. He said he would come on, but you know, the guy's got the busiest schedule in the entire world. It's like, like, super busy. Anyway, the bottom line is we hope to have a few, minutes, a few minutes with him in hour number two of Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Listen, if you're watching us on Vive TV, we're live on Vive TV every Tuesday. Tuesdays on Vive TV, straight up. This is Ring Talk Live Worldwide. You're inside looking to the world of boxing and MMA. My name is Pedro Fernandez. I am your ever-so-modest host. When I say modest, think capitals, Uh, caps. Uh, straight up, I'm also a four-time Golden Glove champion and award-winning boxing writer. So, supposedly, I know a little bit about boxing. So, if you will stick around for another hour through the news, guess what? We got lots of stuff to talk about. An hour and now we're in hour number two of Ring Talk Live Worldwide. But, 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 we will not. I'm not going to go into Dana White. Somebody said to me, will you slap Dana White around again today? We, we loved it yesterday. I'm tired of slapping Dana White around. My hands are sore. Straight up, this is Ring Talk Live Worldwide. Stick around. Hour number two after the news on Sports Byline, iHeartRadio, SiriusXM, XM, Satellite Radio, and Twitch.tv, the Sports Byline USA channel.
10: radio news with Jeremy Scott the debris from a massive Colorado wildfire still smoldering as search crews look for three people missing in the snow covered debris Boulder County Sheriff Joe Pelly says it doesn't look good
9: we unfortunately believe these are going to turn into recovery cases We're calling in cadaver dogs and search teams to help us with an effort.
10: Investigators still trying to determine what caused the fire to start that destroyed nearly 1,000 homes and other buildings in suburbs between Denver and Boulder, unusually late in the year. Another day of flight cancellations causing havoc. More than 2,200 flights. In and out of the U.S. have been canceled, according to flight tracking website FlightAware. On top of that, more than 3,000 flights have been delayed. This is USA Radio News.
4: You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 or more per month with MediShare, and what's more, They like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate when compared to health insurance, double. You get access to a massive network of providers and 24/7 telehealth. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years. And it's more than just affordable healthcare too. You get to be part of a community of Christians who pray for each other and support each other. But here's why now is the time to make the switch. Join before January 15th and they'll waive your new member fee you'll save another $170 right off the bat. Call now, you'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline is January 15th, so you can save even more. Call 833-34-BIBLE. That's 833-34-BIBLE. 833-34-BIBLE.
10: The CDC is facing pushback after revising a COVID-19 isolation rule, shortening the time frame from 10 days to five days for asymptomatic patients to quarantine. Dr. Anthony Fauci telling ABCs this week there could be some action on that front in the coming days.
1: There has been some concern about why we don't ask people at that five-day period to get tested.
2: That is something that is now under consideration. The CDC is very
10: well aware that there has been some pushback about that. The CDC now recommending that those asymptomatic people wear a mask after that five-day period. Twitter on Sunday suspended the personal account of Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia. A Twitter spokesperson in a statement said, quote, we personally suspended Marjorie Taylor Greene for repeated violations of our COVID-19 misinformation policy. This is USA Radio News. NASA's Next Generation Space Telescope is being unveiled bit by bit.
6: A massive shield aboard the $10 billion James Webb Space Telescope has been successfully unfurled in a crucial step for its operations, according to NASA. The telescope's starboard sunshield was extended late on Friday. The deployment kept a two-day operation in which all 107 of the telescope's membrane release devices were successfully released. This allowed the sunshield to fully open up into its kite-shaped form in space. Although it's a major accomplishment, Webb is just nine days into a 29-day deployment process in which the telescope will unfold at a slow pace to ensure success. It's all part of the sophisticated technology that will make Webb the largest and most powerful telescope in history. It will use supercooled infrared instruments to observe exoplanets, black holes, and galaxies that formed 13.5 billion years ago, the earliest anyone has ever seen. From the USA Radio News Pacific Northwest Bureau, I'm Wendy King.
10: Starting Monday, Chicago will require proof of a COVID-19 vaccine for indoor venues. Rule applies to everyone 5 and older at places like restaurants, bars, gyms, and sports and entertainment venues. For USA Radio News, I'm Jeremy Scott.
0: Hello? Hello? You there in the car. Listen, if I was a cop, I'd pull you over and ask to see your insurance. Woo! I bet that would scare the heck out of you. (laughs) But seriously, I still want you to get your insurance papers out. Whoa! That's ridiculous! Look, we all have cars. That means insurance. But newsflash, you don't have to pay a fortune for it. What smart people all over the United States are doing is saving hundreds of dollars calling AIS insurance. That's 800-756-3744
1: Ladies and gentlemen, live from the West Coast, it's time for Ring Talk Live Worldwide your inside look into combat sports. Ring Talk, live worldwide, brought to you by the WBC, the World Boxing Council.
8: It is absolutely necessary that we all get together.
5: We work together. We respect each other. We like and love each other.
1: And now, the host of the longest-running fight show in radio and internet history. I'm getting tired of people running from me in the ring. Mike Tyson.
3: Uh, Holyfield, you a bunch of bums Stand up and be a man and fight a real fighter Pedro Fernandez Tomas <laughs> y Caballeros Bienvenidos ladies and Gentlemen, emanating, coming at you From the multi-million dollar Sports Pylon Studios in San Francisco Check it, this is Ring Talk Live Worldwide and WBC TV often imitated but never duplicated 37 make that 38 plus years now of knocking out all bums who am I my name is Pedro Fernandez I am your ever so modest host. when I say modest think caps straight up I'm a four-time golden glove champion so I can fight a little bit or used to and I'm an award-winning boxing writer so supposedly allegedly I know a little bit about boxing but guess what the average fan I've always found out has a different insight so they have a different perspective I open up the toll for the top of each hour just for you fans, 1-800-878-7529. The Lister line right here in the Sports File Line studios, 1-800-878-7529. That's 1-800-878-7529. Of course, there's also the Guilfree No Commitment text line. Text me here in the studio, that number, the text line, 415-275-1612. That's 415-275-1613, the studio text line. Well, we're talking Godzilla. And uh, King Kong, of course, they fought last night, King Kong won, I'm talking about Luis Ortiz beating Charles Martin, it was a battle of heavyweights, sort of like over the hill heavyweights, but per se, it was on pay-per-view, but I'm going to go into depth this hour on Alexis Arguello, why am I going to do that? Because he died in 2009 and under some suspicious circumstances, and people keep pressing me, "What happened? What happened? What happened?" Well, I've got a different perspective. We'll talk about that more after the break. You are tuned to Ring Talk live worldwide on Sports Byline, iHeartRadio, Radio, Sirius XM, Satellite Radio, and if you're watching me on Tuesday, this is Vive TV, baby.
9: Palio Restaurant has been the premier Italian restaurant serving downtown San Francisco since 1990. Palio features fine Italian fare and a wine spectator award-winning wine list, so there is no surprise that it's been voted Best Overall Restaurant in San Francisco by San Francisco locals. Palio has been in business for over 30 years and recently went through a complete remodel. Our guests can expect to receive the same excellence in food and service that has sustained us for 30 years in a brand new and more modern space. Our 250-plus seat restaurant includes seating in four distinct spaces, making social distancing while dining easy in our establishment. All precautions are taken by staff to ensure a safe dining experience. Open Monday through Saturdays, reservations are recommended. Visit paleosf.com to view our menus and make a reservation today. That's palio sf.com. P-A-L-I-O-S-F dot com.
1: Now more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez. Ma'am, that's a groove. Uh, uh, ain't nothing
3: I can say. I saw my buddy Lenny Williams who's singing the song right here with Tower of Power. I saw him with Jay Prince and a bunch of boxing people on his Facebook page. So evidently Lenny's delving back into the world of uh, boxing. More power to him. Of course, a guy that fought amateur. I remember what he told me. He goes, I never realized what it was like to get your bell rung until somebody hit me on the chin. Yeah, somebody hit him on the chin boxing. He learned. Anyway, bottom line is great singer, great family man, great husband, great father. No doubt about that. Great community guy. He did his... Uh, Christmas, thing. every Christmas he does something in Oakland, California, raise money for a couple of charitable organizations. He did it again this year. More power to him. Lenny Williams. Check him out at <clears throat> lennywilliams.com. Alexis Arguello, born April 19, 1952, July, died July first, 2009. Let's talk about his career, of course. He wasn't the greatest fighter at the beginning. He was He lost two fights in a row. In fact, he got knocked out by a guy that was making his pro debut back in 1969. Omar Anaya knocked him out. Omar never went on to uh, do anything that was really good. But the bottom line, it was, it was the first round TKO loss. Uh, for um, Alexis Arguello, I mean, he was like blown away by it. They said it was a KO in four, but somebody said it was a stoppage in one. Anyway, he lost his next fight. After that, a split decision in six rounds, but he would go on a bit of a a tear, of course. I'm talking about uh, El Flaco Explosivo, the thin, the explosive thin man. Of course, Alexis Arguello was a a master boxer, but he wouldn't lose again until 1972. He lost to a guy by the name of... He lost to some nondescript guys. Jorge Reyes, who was 76. He lost him in uh, TKO in eight rounds. That was down there in Managua, Nicaragua. So he went on a hell of a roll then. Then he lost to the future, the cake to back the uh, world champion at one point in time, the World uh, Boxing Association featherweight champion from Panama, Ernesto Marcel. Of course, Marcel, a great fighter, no doubt about that. But he beat Arguello the first time around. Arguello wins another 10 fights, 15 fights, maybe almost 20 fights. Comes up against Villamar Fernandez. No relation to me, but Villamar could fight. Villamar was a, Villamar couldn't punch, but Villamar just was difficult, man. Villamar was a pain in the ass to fight. Anyway, he had some problems with him, Alexis, did, and lost a decision to him without a doubt. That was a one decision. Of course, he went on to beat guys like Ruben Castillo, Rolando Navarrete, Cornelius Bozo Edwards, Jose Luis Ramirez, um Jim Watt. Of course, he beat Jim Watt for the WBC lightweight title. This afternoon holding the uh, 126-pound championship, featherweight championship, and then the 130-pound championship. Of course, at 130 pounds, he destroyed Alfredo Escalera. Wow, he went over and he destroyed the snake man, just destroyed him. I mean, Escalera was considered one of the better fighters, pound-for-pound uh, pound in boxing, but he got destroyed that night by Alexis Arguello. Of course, after the Watt fight, Alexis had the emotional encounter with Ray Boom Boom Mancini. Of course, his father Lenny Mancini was ringside, and Lenny had fought in World War II. And I think the World War cut the war cut his career short, something like that. And then they had another brother. I think it was Lenny. I think his name was Lenny too, but he was better than uh, than Ray. Ray wasn't the better of the two brothers. Anyway, Ray Mancini, I think, lost in, in 14 rounds. Arguello, a bit charitable, and uh, carried him for a few rounds. because I think he could have punished him and put him out a little bit early, but he had respect for the father, he had respect for Ray Mancini, and Arguello showed a whole lot of class that night, no doubt about that. And, of course, next up, he takes on Rolando, uh, Roberto Elizondo, who was a tough guy out of Texas. No big thing there, 23-1, and one. beats uh, James Busquin the next time out. And then I go down to see him in Las Vegas. It's 1982 uh july t- i take that back may 22nd 1982 i take this girl down to las vegas maria Ramirez. her and i go to vegas and i'm going to see annie Ganning challenge arguello for the lightweight championship now Andy ganning is this filipino guy he's a left-hander but he can punch i mean i think ring magazine ra- rates him as one of the top 50 punchers of all time something like that pound for pound the guy could just punch okay so i'm sitting in the first row and this was like a walk around bout for Arguello knows everybody thinks he's going to walk through Ganning without any problems right in the second round boom Arguello is laying right in front of me I'm like freaking out man I can't believe it oh I'm at the Aladdin Hotel the old Aladdin Hotel in Vegas like whoa what is going on and what WTH whoa because he's laying right in front of me and I said to myself he is hurt Alexis is hurt so he gets up he gets cracked with his southpaw by the southpaw um Gannigan he gets up and he makes it through the second round I say to myself man I didn't come down here I didn't think it was gonna be a title change especially with with Gannigan I think Gannigan was gonna beat the great Alexis Arguello in the third round he hit Arguello again even harder he hit Arguello so hard in the third round Arguello told me he had a buzz until the next morning that's how hard Andy Gannigan hit of course uh he got hurt in that round he didn't get knocked down but he got hurt in that round he would come back and he would stop Gannigan late in the fight but you know that was probably that was a that was a sign of the times that was a sign of what was coming because our was starting to slip he was starting to go downhill he just was i mean at 135 pounds the fact that you know he was he was accomplished in beating jim watt and, and fighting guys at 135 but he wasn't a 135 pound fighter and that's why they have weight classes 126 130 135 pounds in other words by the time he got to 135 he was done stick a fork in him okay that's just the way it was i mean Whether he wanted to admit it or not, he had like 75 fights or 70 fights at that point in time when he hit 135, almost to 140, and he was done. So 135 was the last crescendo, per se, for Alexis Arguello in capturing the World Lightweight Championship. Next up, wow, he uh, takes on, of course, Aaron Pryor. And, of course, we know what happened there. Of course, Aaron Pryor, the first fight, I think the fight was... It was rigged, and why do I say that? When I say rigged, I don't mean like the judges where were like you know, or the referee, or somebody was conspiring to get him, or or some bookmaker in the back was going, we want this guy to win. No, no, I don't mean rigged like that. I mean rigged by the fact that Alexis Arguello faced a guy that that wrapped his hands in plaster of Paris. Now, what is plaster of Paris? Plaster of Paris is what they make cast a cast out of. In other words, if you break your arm, you break your wrist, and they put a cast in your arm. <clears throat> Um, they wrap it in paper, in, in gauze first, and they wrap plaster of Paris around it, and plaster of Paris is wet, but when it dries, it's hard as a cast, hard as a rock, okay? So Panama Lewis, who was working Aaron Pryor's corner for that first fight down there in 1982, I believe, in um, in Miami, Florida, um, that that's what would happen. They wrapped his hands in plaster of Paris, and, and... Panama didn't, it wasn't enough that he wrapped his hands in plaster of Paris pads. Panama had to have all, he was such a creep, the worst guy I've ever met in my life, just about. Anyway, um, he had to take the padding out of Arguello's, out of uh, Pryor's gloves, too. So he took the padding out of the gloves, made sure that Pryor's hands were like rock hard with cast hand wraps, okay? I kid you not. So when my buddy Logan Hobson saw Aaron Pryor the next day, Aaron Pryor had one inch uh, sw- uh, well, swellings on each hand. All these, these knuckles were all swollen up to like a half inch to an inch. How can your hands get swollen up in a professional title fight? Not too often if your hands are wrapped right, okay? His hands weren't wrapped right. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And of course, the second fight, when Arguello came <clears throat> for the second fight with prior, he was done. I mean, way done. He was emotionally done. And you know, one of the things with Alexis was, is that He wasn't the most emotionally stable guy in the world. Those of you that have been listening to the show for a long time, remember in 1999 when he came on the air, when he found out his wife was on the air with me, um, he came on the show and said, Pedro, I want to die. That's what he said, he wanted to die. So Jose Suleiman, president of the World Boxing Council, father of Mauricio Suleiman, sent me down to Nicaragua, flew me down there, business class, it was pretty cool. And uh, I went down there and I tried to get Alexis into rehab. So we spent about 10 days, 15, 10 to 14 days down there trying to get Alexis Arguello into rehab. He wouldn't go. He was in denial, the whole nine yards. So uh, I guess about four or five months later on New Year's Eve, 1999 to 2000, um, he got into a car accident down there in Nicaragua. And the government told him, listen, pal, either you go to rehab or you're going to jail. And Arguello chose rehab. And of course, a would see me a few months later at the International Boxing Hall of Fame in Kansas New York, and tell me that I saved his life, that I helped save his life. So I felt really good about that. But then again, that was 1999, you know, and he would die in 2009. And when he died in 2009, it was a bit, a bit suspicious. I mean, was he shot in the chest? Was he shot in the... And there's a picture that I just put up on my Facebook page, Pedro Fernandez in Ring Talk. Um of me and Arguello at his front door. And I think he was shot to death or he died in front of his front door. So that's why I thought the picture was, was significant for that point in time. But uh, a friend of mine who I'm not going to name, who is a Nicaraguan, had this to say as far as the, the Nicaraguan government the fact that Arguello, they thought that he shot himself or he didn't shoot himself. I'm going to read this verbatim, but I'm going to leave the actual names out of this. Hey, Pete, so my family, we have different political views on the so-called Sandinistas. We have in our family back home uh, some who still go and gather wood for their stove or go down to the river to bathe, to the wealthiest who have supported whoever is in power to be in the good graces we've seen by politicians. I don't know what that meant. So not sure of how old that picture is, not exactly how many daughters Alexis had, but the following day after he was found dead, he was a mayor of Managua, we know that, he was ready to renounce his party, the Sandinistas as he had been appointed the rank of mayor by Rosario Murillo. I don't know who that is. Um, anyway, the president's wife. Alexis was going uh, to expose all the crap in the country. Yeah, that, that doesn't go too well. Anyway, now at the funeral, one of the daughters and maybe his ex-wife were seen to have a friendly discussion with the first lady like it was a, a grand event. And people close to Alexis commented on how how friendly they all seemed, even though Alexis had lots of issues on his plate. He was not the type to have shot himself. Mm, Yeah, he was. And if he was, and he would have, he wouldn't have shot him. It would have been a bullet to the head. All indications was he had been a struggle with the weapon. Anything goes on. Of course, the news said the Ortegas were involved and the government was involved. Anyway, bottom line is we'll never know. You're tuned to Ring Talk live worldwide at WBC-TV. You're listening to Ring Talk with
1: Pedro Fernandez. Brought to you by the World Boxing Council, the WBC. Right here on Sports Byline. I got to have a...
0: 2080. 800-817-2968 800-817-2968 800-817-2968 That's 800-817-2968
11: There was always something about Hector that was a lot of fun. You're always happy to see him. Did you give the uh, dogs names or did you find out what their names were? No, I was going to Mush. mush, <laughs> <laughs> he was hard not to like. But before the night of the fight, we got a call in our hotel. One of his handlers, in great stress, said, you know, you've got to come over here. We'll get him on the phone. He's trying to jump out a window. And he was completely out of his mind, drug-wise. You know, talked him out of it, calmed down, and they got him out of the danger. Then the concern was, how's he going to be fight time?
1: Then this is by far the most dangerous opponent that Camacho has faced.
11: And the next day, you wouldn't have known anything had happened. Camacho told me he's going to go right out and jump on him in the first round. Let's see if he does it. There was domination there. He threw the punches he wanted to throw, moved the way he wanted to move, and did what he wanted to do.
5: He showed everything that he could be, the superstar that he could be.
11: And there is chaos in the ring. We were grateful for the fact that he had recovered and that the fight went on. But it was a source of great concern to us from that point forward because we knew he was dealing, you know, with the demons.
3: Wow. We're going to say Hector Camacho getting coked out. No surprise there. I mean, a couple of times I was around him we he, he was always doing that kind of good stuff. But the bottom line was, you know, Hector was a unique individual. When I say unique, I mean extremely unique I remember one time when I was fighting with my ex-wife maybe I've said this before but I was fighting with my ex-wife I was fighting with her on the phone I wanted to talk to my daughter and she she said I cut the phone off after three minutes I'm calling from Atlantic City so Hector found out and Hector says well let me call her and I said you know she likes you she, you're your favorite fighter really so he calls her on the phone and being the biatch that she is or was it still is or probably was born um anyway she uh she he goes hey uh hello is is Olga there And she goes, yeah, this is all. He goes, hey, this is Hector. She goes, Hector who? Because she thought it was my best friend, Hector Martinez. He goes, Hector the Macho Man Camacho. The only time in her life where she didn't say a word. She was like stunned, speechless, didn't say a word. Anyway, bottom line was he jumped all over. But that's what kind of guy he was. I mean, he saw I was having a couple problems with the old lady and, and being able to talk to my daughter on the phone, so he wanted to get involved. He was a good guy. He was a good guy to be around, except when he was on Coke. When he was coked out, he was a bit of a nightmare. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, I televised, what, one or two of his fights. The second fight that I televised, I think it was, a, was the, uh, the the finishing of Ray Leonard. Of course, when he beat up on Ray Leonard there in Atlantic City, beat Ray Leonard almost to death. I mean, Ray came in on one leg. Ray thought, the show must go on. Ray Charles Leonard, Sugar Ray Leonard, going to fight uh, Macho Man, Hector Camacho. Mike crew put this together. And they conned Ray Leonard into weighing in the same day. In other words, he hadn't weighed 160 pounds and— Maybe seven or, eight, or maybe seven or eight years, right? So he says, okay, we're going to weigh in on the same day. So Mike Akery the late promoter from Erieva Pennsylvania, he conned Ray Leonard into, into okaying a same-day weigh-in. So he had to weigh in that morning. Man, he was dead come to fight as far as the weight was concerned. And, then, of course, he had that that ruptured or torn or injured Achilles tendon so he couldn't put weight on one leg. The bottom line was Ray was toast for a macho man, and Hector lit him up like a White House Christmas tree. There's just no doubt about it. But 79-6 and six overall, never got stopped, 38 KOs, a champion at 130, 135. He he held titles at 140. And, of course, I sort of – you know, he's sort of like – Hector sort of started to fade from uh, from, relativity, from from relativity being relative, about 147 pounds. Of course, he fought Julio Cesar Chavez in 1992. <clears throat> that was when Don King said to me, Hey, Pedro, we're having some problems. you think you can do a couple hours of radio today? I said, Yeah, yeah, not a problem, DK. He goes, I'll give you this. I said, Whoa, right on, a little bonus, right? So I go down to do the radio. So supposed to do a two-hour show, and then they say to me, We've got some problems with the satellite. I said, So? What does that mean? Well, we can't go anywhere else. We need to stay with you. I said, "What do you mean to stay with me?" He goes, "We need to stay with you. Can you can you work another hour?" So I said, "Okay, I'll work another hour." Six hours later, six hours, we were six hours into it. Six hours and fifteen minutes into it, I realized, you know, this is it. I'm the, <clears throat> my voice just died. It was all over with. But the bottom line was, DK was he, he was he was listen. Don King was a wonder to work around. People don't like him, of course. He brought us guys like Hector Camacho and. I think he made Camacho bigger than Camacho was, and Camacho really didn't need to be any bigger than he was, but he did. Don King did this with fighters. That's what promoters do. They make you bigger than what you are, and that's why I'm trying to say that Al Hayman is failing miserably with guys like the Charlo brothers. Jermell Charlo, WBC 160-pound champion since 2019, right? Who's he fought? Scott Cuddy? Pedro Fernandez? Maybe, okay? But he hasn't got any names on his resume, and he doesn't want to step up and gamble in other words the reason the way you become a great fighter ray leonard told me this sugar ray leonard told me the reason the way the difference between great fighters and good fighters is a great fighter is willing to gamble he's willing to go for it in other words when you're up a couple rounds and you're looking across the ring and i want to get the guy out of there and then chris is telling me don't worry about it we got this fight one on points no 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 no. i'm not even listening man i'm going out there trying to finish this up you want to close the show you want to close the show, and you close the show on occasion by gambling. You know, on a gamble on occasion, got caught and realized, well, maybe this wasn't the right thing to do. But this is what you have to do in order to become, in order to exceed your uh, your abilities. In, ex- in other words, to make it above that one mark, you've got to gamble. Not too many fighters want to gamble, of course. Camacho wasn't a gambler; he just wasn't. I mean, he was a guy that fought safe for the most part. Had his paranoid issues at the end. Um, you know a lot of that was 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 cocaine induced i mean he had he had he had such a bad character. He you heard the announcer, Tim Ryan, I think was talking about his coke, cocaine problems. Tim Ryan was the CBS TV announcer at that point in time. And they were doing Camacho's fight with Gil Clancy. Gil Clancy was the other announcer. So they were they were televising these fights and they knew that Camacho had all these problems. Well, we knew Camacho had these problems. We knew Camacho did blow, but maybe not to that extent. Of course, maybe we'll talk, maybe we can play that clip coming back from the next break where uh, Camacho was, of course, he was coming, what was he, going into Mexico? He tried to sneak a kilo coke. a coke. Ki- I think he was trying to sneak a kilo of cocaine into mexico most guys try to sneak a kilo of cocaine out of mexico but he's trying to sneak a kilo of cocaine into mexico hector camacho 79 and six never stopped 38 kilos, of course may he rest in peace how did he die he died like he lived hard and fast he got shot in the head it was terrible i mean i saw a picture of the bullet wound man shot him right in the head right in the head i mean good lord and you know you're not gonna live you get shot in the head he got shot in the head. He was on life support for a couple of days, and that was about it. Okay, but the Harlem Heckler, that's what I called him, and that's what I nicknamed him. And, you know, I would give these fighters nicknames like the Hispanic Cause and Panic. I named Juan Lascano the Hispanic Cause and Panic. And Hector Camacho, I called him the Harlem Heckler. And I thought maybe, maybe we'd get upset about that. And he called me up one day, and I said, who is this? He goes, it's the Harlem Heckler. I said, right on, Hector. Yeah, Hector Camacho. But may you rest in peace, man. He goes, it all went down in that car. In Bayamón, Puerto Rico, it was outside of San Juan, a little city outside of San Juan. We we did a fight there one time. In fact, Camacho fought there one time against Jorge Vaca. That was the time when Hector didn't want to come to the fights. He was all coked out in the hotel, all coked out in the hotel. And Harold Smith says to me, Pedro, Hector don't want to come. I said, What do you mean he don't want to come? This isn't a matter whether you want to or not. He's got to be here. He's the main event. He goes, Well, he don't want to come. And if he don't come, you're not getting paid. And that mean I couldn't pay my I had like, you know, I had to pay child support and all this kind of crazy stuff, saying to myself, what? Yeah, Pedro, you know that that dollars you were to take out of here that you're supposed to take out of here, you're not gonna get it unless Camacho shows up to fight. Mm. So I didn't know what to do. Got in the car, went back to the hotel, begged Camacho to come, and he would bottom line it was me and Camacho went back and forth verbally in his hotel room he decided he would come down he ended up fighting Vaca the fight was stopped in the second round I believe with a technical draw or something like that they headbutted each other but at the end of the night Camacho did show up and I did get paid so I want to thank him for that because had he not showed up I had a I had a trip to I I was going to Colombia I was going straight to Colombia out of uh, out of Puerto Rico so I, my flights were all together the whole night in fact I remember when the custom guys um, they grabbed me on the plane I was leaving I was a marked guy maybe but I was leaving San Juan Puerto Rico and the customs guys stopped the plane the plane was like you know they're gonna roll it back and they stopped plane and they took me off the plane I said do I need to get my bags well not yet. I mean, not yet. What's going on here? Well, I had a little weed in my pants, so I said to myself, maybe these guys are gonna jam me up on the weed. No, they weren't jamming me up on the weed. They were jamming me up on the fact I got money. I had cash and they didn't dig it. Where did you get this cash? You're going to Columbia with nine thousand dollars in cash. Well, I wanted to make sure it was under ten grand because you didn't want these people messing with you. The government, if you have under ten grand, they can't mess with you. But guess what? They messed with me anyway. They held the flight up. When I finally got back on the flight, all these people are looking at me like like um like I'm like a horrible man, because I had to wait like 15 minutes while you know these guys are hassling me on the uh, on the tarmac. I remember telling these guys, either jail me or let me go. I bluff them, they let me go. What an idiot saying this in Puerto Rico. I could still be there. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live, Worldwide Wide, and WBC TV.
1: Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez, brought to you by the WBC, the World Boxing Council, right here on Sports
9: Byline. I thank y'all for tuning in. All the fans around the world, we love y'all.
6: told me about Mr. Clean Magic Eraser, and his exact words were, it changed my life. I used to spend a ridiculous amount of time trying to remove tomato sauce from inside our microwave and soap scum off the bathtub. It's like seriously magic, and my secret weapon for cleaning the kitchen, bathroom, doors, and walls, and even keeping my sneakers clean. Mr. Clean Magic Eraser, greatest invention ever. Mr. Clean, Mr. Clean, Mr.
9: Clean. Mr. Clean Magic Eraser, the unicorn of cleaning.
2: At alico.com, let us help you create your own backyard oasis, offering fire pits, pergolas, awnings, patio furniture, heaters, inflatable hot tubs, and more. We employ a group of highly skilled and knowledgeable employees who are happy to help you each step of the way. View our full selection at Aleko.com. That's A-L-E-K-O.com. 10% off plus free shipping on any item.
9: Use code RADIO10 at checkout. Aleko.com.
6: I need postcards
4: printed and designed Oh, on a targeted direct mail campaign.
6: It's possible at Staples. I need my presentation printed, bound, and perfect. Also possible. Your local
10: Staples store can help your business navigate the future of work with custom printed sales and marketing materials. Now get 25% off custom printed labels, postcards, flyers, brochures, and more when you spend $60 or more. Explore what's new at Staples. The working and learning store ends one twenty nine in in-store only. See staples.com slash print for details.
5: We get in this car, we're driving. We, we're heading close to Texas. I said, let's pull over for the night. He goes, no, you just need to close your eyes for a little bit. I'll keep driving. And I'm like, macho. He goes, I'm OK. I'm gonna, I won't go speed. I said, OK. And I fall asleep. I don't know how long I was closing my eyes. But it wasn't long. He taps me on my shoulder. He goes, hey, I need money for the toll. And I'm like, "This toll? And I open my eyes. And I see the border. We're on the line to the border into Mexico. I'm like, what are you doing? The patrol looks, and they've waited for us to go into the security check. And I'm like, it's okay, macho, no problem. I'll, I'll take care of this, I'll, let me talk." He goes, yeah, but that's not the problem. I got a little present in the trunk. I got a, I got a kilo in the trunk. And I said, okay, macho, put the top down. Where it was a convertible jack and I need you to do macho time right now, right here. We push the top down, he jumps up out of this car, he jumps onto the hood of this $90,000 Jag, and he stands up and he's screaming, where's Chavez? Everybody went crazy, the border patrol comes, everybody started, come on, The border patrol guy passes me with a dog. The dog goes crazy. The dog starts barking and scratching. I look in the rearview mirror, and the Border Patrol takes the dog and hits someone. He goes, shut up, that's Camacho.
3: <laughs> Being at the border with Hector Camacho. I've been at the border a few times in, uh, with Hector Martinez, not Hector Camacho, but straight up. I remember one time we were coming back from, uh, from Tijuana, and I had some Pepsis. I had some Pepsis and some beer. And I was bringing back to Pepsi because it was Mexican Pepsi. They didn't have it here. And I was bringing back the beer because it was Mexican beer. They didn't have it here. It was, you know, it's only a couple of bottles of Corona, and a couple of bottles of Pepsi. So the lady asked me, where were you born? You know, it's a Caucasian lady. I said to her, San Francisco. She was, what state is that in? I said, what do you need, a geography lesson? You don't know what state that's in? Anyway, she pulled me aside to strip search a whole nine yards. They took my sodas. Uh, the bottom line is I learned not to give people a bad time at the border. Now, got some Got a couple of emails here. Before I go to the 140-pound division, of course, I promised I would expand on that, the Junior Waldo division. The fact that 135 pounds is so talented, Jervonte Davis, Ryan Garcia, da- Davin Haney, um, and, of course, Lomachenko. Those are just four of the studs at 135 pounds. But 140, I think, is just as promising. But I want to bring up... <clears throat> I got some. Uh, there's going to be a special night, I think, on Sonny Listen, some television network. And I want to bring up Sonny, of course. Sonny was 50 and four, got stopped three times as a professional. Leotis Martin stopped him. Ali stopped him. And I think he was stopped once early in his career. But um, 50 and four as a professional, 39 KOs. You know. <sighs> Eddie Machen, who fought him, Eddie Machen went 12 rounds with him. Eddie told me that he's a rough guy. He was tough, this and that. But he wasn't the the animal that everybody portrayed him to be. He didn't think that Sonny was the killer that he was because Eddie was a good boxer, okay, per se. But what Sonny was was Sonny was a drunk, a mean drunk. Um, Johnny Taco knew him in St. Louis before they came together. Of course, Johnny Taco was the owner of the Ringside Gym in Las Vegas, a trainer of sorts, but really a gym runner, a gym owner down there in Las Vegas. Of course, he uh, was Liston's last trainer, I believe. Sonny Liston's last trainer. Of course, Davy Pearl was his last manager. Davy Pearl was the bellboy. Davy Pearl was also the manager, the uh, referee for the Sugar Ray Leonard Tommy Hearns fight back in 1981, the first fight when they fought 147 pounds. So Davy Pearl was his last manager. Johnny Taco was his last trainer. Of course, uh, Listen was last seen about December 27th, December 28th, and then they found his body like New Year's Eve. He was supposed to go to a party at the taco gym. Johnny Taco threw a party at the gym every year, and he was supposed to go to the party. He didn't show up, and they said, hey, you know, it's a little suspicious Sonny's didn't show up, and then the old lady says, um, you know, Sonny's not around. I can't find Sonny, so they went to the house. They found Sonny in his shorts. Take that back. He was in his shorts. He was naked laying on the bed. Uh, they, they broke into his house because, you know, the house was locked from the inside, Double bolted. All the windows were locked, and he was lo- he was laying on his bed naked, with his underwear down around his ankles. Now I- I'm going to try to get you to picture that, because I'm not trying to get you to picture some nude black man or uh, some nude old man with his ankles. But I want you to picture what's going on here, okay? He's got his underwear down around his ankles. What her is under? What are his underwear doing around his- down around his ankles? He doesn't wear them down there normally. He wears them down there. I guess he puts them down there when he's about to. Uh, pleasure himself. We'll just put it to you like that. So here's what's up. Sonny is doing his thing and he gets a stroke or he has a heart attack and he dies. So he came, maybe he didn't come, but he came and went at the same time. That was the, that was the theory. Okay. That he came and went at the same time. So he either had a stroke, some type of aneurysm or a heart attack, this and that, but they tried to say it was heroin. They tried to say there was heroin in the system. There wasn't a substantial amount of heroin in the system and there wasn't a lot of marijuana in the system or anything like that. Sonny was a drunk. He was just a mean, mean ass drunk. He just was. So every time he got drunk, he wanted to pop a cop. He wanted to pop a bartender. He, that guy was looking at me funny in the bar. I want to pop him. That's all he did. Went around. He was a bully. He just was a bully. So when he got his just due, of course, and I think he did get his just due, um, I did. I mean, he died mysteriously, but he died before his time in the minds of many. Of course, he could have been a lot older than he said because when I looked at his birth certificate, there were like, I think there were two birth certificates. One said one, one said he was born like at 29, the other one said he was born like 33. So we don't know exactly when he was born, no doubt about that. There, there is some doubt as to when he was born. But as far as his age was concerned, he was an old dude, he was an old man fighting. Cassius Clay the first time. That's right, he was Cassius Clay. We'll call him Cassius Clay because he hadn't changed his name yet into Muhammad Ali. Now, when they fought the second time, he wanted to be called Muhammad Ali. So at that point in time, and, of course, the first fight, the second fight was canceled once when Ali had a hernia operation. But the second fight did happen. Of course, it was a knockout in one round in Lewiston, Maine, the punch that a lot of people say they didn't see. I saw it. Larry Merchant was there. In fact, if you look at the, the picture of the knockout of Muhammad Ali standing in the ring here, if you look between his legs, you will see my buddy Larry Merchant standing there. I kid you with his mouth open, like he couldn't—he was in shock. Larry Merchant between Muhammad Ali's legs and that picture when he knocked out Sonny Liston and Louis Domain. Of course, that was round number one. The phantom punch. They had all kinds of different words for it. But the punch connected. And Sonny was an old dude. I mean, Sonny was, like I said, older than he said he was. He was supposed to be like 34, 35. I think he was close to 40, if not more. I kid you not. Anyway, at the end of the day, he was no match for... For the speed of Muhammad Ali. He was no match for the punches coming. He was no match for the hand or the foot. I mean, he just was no match for him. He wasn't. I mean, he didn't land a telling punch in the entire fight, and in, in, in both fights. And the only punch, the only damage that Liston did was in the first fight when he put that that uh, that uh, that Monsell solution, that cut solution, he put it on his gloves and then he rubbed it in Ali's eyes. Because how do I know he did this on purpose? Because Larry Merchant. Of course he was on here in hour number one of Ring Talk Live World Wide, and WBC TV. He told me that listens other other listens other opponents had told him the same thing. That they had that has come something in their eyes. They couldn't believe it. And it was, you know, they thought it was the, the Monsell solution. So that's what I, what this corner did. They did it on purpose. They were cheaters. So they, they tried to cheat their way to the to keeping the title because they were getting lit up. I mean Cash cause Cash is Clay, for that first fight, Ali was just lighting them up. I mean Liston didn't win any rounds, did he? I don't think so. Did he win any minutes? I don't think so. Did he win any thirty-second breaks? I don't know. But the bottom line is, he was just being outgunned, outmanned, and dominated. Okay, and he knew the second fight was probably not going to be any better. I mean, he came in in decent shape, so he trained hard. I watched some of the films, and Johnny Taco told me he was in good shape for that, and you know, for the second, the second clay fight. That's I think I think that's what what, what Johnny Taco. I had to correct him on that one. But the second clay fight, anyway. Um, he was in good shape for that one, but good shape wouldn't have made it. He was old, he was slow, he was going up against the greatest heavyweight maybe of all time as far as hand and foot, feet, foot speed were concerned, so he ain't going to make it against him, okay? So he was going to win that fight no matter no, no, no matter what. But then suddenly went a few fights, I and mean, he never lost again until he lost against Leotis Martin. And of course, he had like five, maybe 10, 15 fights in between. He beat guys like Henry Clark. He knocked out Henry Clark in the seventh round. I remember Henry Clark. Here's a good Henry Clark story. Henry Clark was the California heavyweight champion at one point in time. He was Muhammad Ali's sparring partner for the George Foreman fight back in 1974. So um, he uh, bought, I think he got $40,000 in pay for, from Ali for doing the sparring down there for like, I think they were there for like four months or something like that. He got 10 grand a month, something like that. Anyway, um, so he gets 40 grand. So he decides to invest his entire $40,000 in these ivory canes. In other words, he, he's going to get these canes that are made out of the tusks of elephants the elephant tusk he's getting all these canes made of ivory so he buys like a certain amount of canes it costs him a lot of money because ivory is expensive okay so he buys all these canes and he brings them home and he puts them on top of the in the luggage uh above your seat that little you know luggage compartment puts them in the luggage compartment. so anyway in the flight from africa to new york they cracked in half evidently the plane did a a jump this and the things broke they broke. So when he opened them up and he realized that they broke, there wasn't ivory that he had been taken, that these were a fraud. He got nothing but glass. 40 grand, four months in Africa. Henry Clark got nothing. Anyway, Count Henry Clark, former California heavyweight champion. I'm promoting boxing at the uh, Longshoreman's Hall in San Francisco, California. It's a union hall down here on Fisherman's Wharf. Holds about 1,500 people. Um, so, when I'm promoting boxing there with, uh, I can't remember the lady I was working with at that point in time. God, it kills me. can't remember names sometimes. So, anyway, um, I give Henry, Henry's got a boxing club out there in Hunters Point, California, Hunters Point in San Francisco, which out in the black area where I used to work as a cop. So, I gave him like 15 tickets, plus I gave him two ringside tickets for himself. So, I, I gave him like 17 tickets. So, I said to him, Henry, is this cool?
9: Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks
0: a lot. Thanks a lot.
3: So, yeah, so, you know, he's a little punchy, this net. So, anyway, um, I'm sitting there in the arena, and all of a sudden I, I, I look over, and I see one of the exit doors open up in the back. I mean, there was, like, all these different doors around the arena had different exit doors, and we had, like, guards on most of the doors. But one door opened up, and all of a sudden, like, I guess about 45 or 50 people came running in like they were, like they were fleeing something. They should have been running out, but they were running in because they were, like, getting free tickets. I like, run in. So anyway, I found out that I went to the door, and guess who was holding the door? Henry Clark. I said, hey, Henry, Henry, what the hell's going Bam! Fired on Henry right there and dropped him. He put his hands up, put his hands up against me. I fired on him first. So I dropped the former California heavyweight champion, dropped him on a heap. Told him to get up. Told him if he wanted to continue to stay here tonight, we didn't have no more problems or he was going to have to get ejected. Was, I was calling the cops. So Henry was cool that night, but I decked Henry, put him on his butt. Bottom line is, Henry was a good guy, but back to Sonny, listen, he was just a bully. Now the 140 pound weight class. I promise, I would get to that. Of course, I think it's Josh, but topped by Josh Taylor. Of course, the 140 pound champion. I mean, he is a guy without a doubt. Um, you know, you can't say enough about him. I mean, some some people think he's you know, he's from the UK, so you got to sort of dog him because he's from the UK. No, 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 no. He is the real deal. Of course, he's um, undefeated, 18 and zip. Comes with us from Hoddington, uh, from the United Kingdom. Number two, according to Boxer, is Regis Progress. Of course, he's been beaten once, 26 and 1. Jose Zapeda is a hot fighter, I think, at 140. And he is twenty thirty five 35 and 2. Man, this guy can knock people out. Of course, he knocked out that kid from from Brooklyn, New York, named Vargas, Jesse Vargas, in one round about, about a month ago. Jose, Jose Carlos Ramirez, a former WBC champion. Is comes in at number four, it's according, according to BoxRack. Sandor Martin, who beat Mikey Garcia on a majority decision uh, about a month and a half ago or two months ago. Man, he beat Mikey Garcia like a girl. He owned Mikey Garcia. That's The majority decision? One judge called it even? That judge should have his ticket pulled. There's no doubt about that. Next up at 140 pounds is Jose Pedra- Pedraza. He's like 29 and 3. Um, the rest of the games really don't, rest of the names really don't jump up at me here. Robert Easter, uh, maybe Montana Love, maybe something to go. He's 17 and you know, 0 with one draw. He's got a little bit of flash to him. Of course, we've got Mario Barrios, of course, at 140 pounds. Now he's at 147. In fact, 147 pounds. Mario Barrios at 147. Ah, I thought he was small at 140. I just thought he was small at 140. Why go to 147? You know, if you're already at a size disadvantage, but then again, that's probably where the money's going to be. And speaking of 147, um, Earl Spence, Terrence Crawford. Terrence Crawford undefeated now, 39-0, 34 years old. Who's he beat? He's got some few good names on his record, but there's no Hall of Famers there. How can you be a great fighter and not beat anybody great? Anyway, Mario Barrios, 26-0 with that one stoppage, of course, to Tank Davis. Speaking of Tank Davis, what's he going to do? I mean, he's always talking big talks. I mean, I'm the pay-per-view king, but he only did 100,000 homes on pay-per-view that last time out. Anyway, Keith Thurman is going to come back against Mario Barrios. That's going to go down on pay-per-view, and that's going to be February the 5th. Why are they putting this on pay-per-view? I don't know. I guess Keith Thurman needs some money for weed because Keith Thurman smokes more weed than anybody I know. I mean, he's a guy, that weirdo guy. He goes out into the forest, brings himself a little flute. And smokes some weed and blows a flute. I don't know if he expects a snake to come up or something like that. But the bottom line is, that's a little bit weird to me. And the fact that when he got married, he sort of got it settled, he sort of got acclimated to kicking back and living a good life. So I don't think he can ever come back and be hungry again. As far as Mario Barros beating him, this might be size twenty-six and one, a junior welter, maybe a lightweight, and Mario's going up against a legitimate welterweight in. Keith Thurman. You are tuned to Ring Talk Live Worldwide and WBC TV. Of course you can also, you can always check out the WBC website, their interactive website at wbcboxing.com
1: Ring Talk Live Worldwide is brought to you by the World Boxing Council, the WBC I
9: right, thank y'all for tuning in all the
3: fans around the world, we love y'all
0: please. 800-756-3744. 800-756-3744. 800-756-3744. That's 800-756-3744. Now, more of Ring Talk with Pedro Fernandez, brought to you by the
1: WBC, the World Boxing Council, right here on Sports Byline.
6: Darkest of night with the moon shining bright. There's a step going strong,
5: a lot of things going on. The man of the hour has an air of great power. The dudes have envied him for so long.
3: Oh, super. So it's July 4th, 2006. I get this new producer. They tell me you can have this new producer tonight. What's his name? Cuddy. Cuddy. Really? Cuddy? Paul Cuddy. Scott Cuddy. Something like that. I said, okay. We call him the Cut Man. He ended up nicknamed him the Cut Man. Anyway, July 4, 2006, we do this show. He thought that Ring Talk was a jewelry show. He thought it was about jewelry and about diamonds, that kind of good stuff. So he was blown away when this little brown guy walks in and starts talking boxing, okay? He had no idea. Anyway, we've been together since July 4, 2006. He's going to retire in a few months, but he's been my partner here since guy it's been 15 years now. Man, he's been just the greatest guy in the world. He's moody as you know what. He's moody as spit with an eight sometimes, but you deal with it. Cause guess what? He's really a good guy, and he's been so beneficial to me. And I want to thank him. Sometimes I scream at him on the air, this and that. Throw rocks at his window. There's a window between me and him here in the studio, and I throw stuff at the window, this and that. I, I, I throw tantrums here, but he throws tantrums, tantrums as well. But the bottom line is, without him, the show would not be on the air. So I thank him from the bottom of my heart, without a doubt. Scott Cuddy, you are the man, the man of the year. No doubt about that. 2022, you are my guy. Um, now I want to mention the fact that Bruno Mars, what's Bruno Mars's real name? Guess what? Pete Hernandez. Pete Hernandez. I mean, come on, man. Bruno Mars is Pete Hernandez. I can see why he changed it. No, I'm just kidding. My Pedro Fernandez. Until next time, peace, love, and a ton of respect. Don't forget, WBC-TV only on Vive TV, and that comes to you on Tuesdays. So next time, peace, love, and a ton of respect. Thank you, Scott Cuddy. You would have.